Hello everyone. So we just came off of the Siyama Shas and uh, it was a wonderful Siyama Shas. I was here in Lublin with the group and it's been a hectic week and I hope you all enjoy the Siyama Shas out there in MetLife or any other location that you happen to participate in it. And I hope you all saw us, our group on the screen at MetLife uh, celebrating in Lublin, dancing in honor of the Siyama Shas. It was very exciting to be there and because of just the hectic week. I was unable to have the time and the composure to record a new episode for today. So we have to pull one out of the archives. And what more fitting could there be than to take something from Bout Rebbe Khanan Wasserman, who on the heels of the Sima Shas, someone who was a towering Torah personality, someone who was involved in the Agudas Yisrael, and someone who ultimately became one of the victims of the destruction of European Jewry at the same time. So we'll have some stories about Rebbe Hanan that I have uh, sitting here in the Jewish History Soundbites archives. So I hope you enjoy. A date which will live in infamy. Both of those projects, initiatives, got off the ground because of the Gare out of the 24 who were killed were Americans who had come to learn in heaven. I say one million Jewish children who were made to be cut Whoever heard such beautiful words, It is never too little, it is never too late, and it is never enough. Jewish History Soundbites, bringing alive the world of our glorious past. Here is our host, live from Jerusalem, Jewish historian and tour guide, Yehuda Geberer. Instead of history time, it's story time. And sometimes it's just more interesting and exciting to hear some stories. And today we'll focus on some stories of Rabbi Hanan Wasserman, who had a recent yard site around this time. This is Yehudi Geber with Jewish History Soundbites, a podcast of Jewish history. And when most people focus on Rabbi Hanan, the amazing personality of Rabbi Hanan Wasserman, they focus on his leadership, um, his leadership in, in of Polish Jewry, of Lithuanian Jewry, in Agudas Yisrael, in the interwar years, sometimes on his extreme positions, whether they're pro or anti his extreme positions, Many, many times we focus on his Torah learning, his incredible shiurim and the sfarim that were printed based on his shiurim, the yeshiva that he had, the mechanic that he was. Uh, there's another side to him that is his humanity, and I'll share some stories of him as a person, as a fatherly figure, the beauty of his ways. And one of the reasons I want to do that is because he himself put great value at saying stories. So we'll follow in his uh, lead. He was, uh, at one point in his life, he was in 
uh, Memel, I believe he was fundraising, and Memel uh, today, Klaipeda, I hope I'm pronouncing it right, in Lithuania. Memel was then uh, on the border between Lithuania and Germany, and uh, he was staying by a friend of his house, who ironically was the, also the place that he was taken from. His name was Herbari Malkiel Friedman, who at that time was living in Memel. Later on, Herbari Malkiel Friedman was living in Slabotka, and Rebbe Hanan stayed by him in Slabotka, in Kovna, in his last days, and when he was taken to be killed by Lithuanians at the 7th Fort, which is around now, his yard site was around now, around Yudalev Tamuz. Um, he was taken from Malkiel Friedman's house in Slabotka um, to be killed, uh, which is a story in itself. Um, but at that time, Rebari Malkiel Friedman was living in Memel, and he was staying by him in Memel. And he would tell Devrei Torah at the table, or Bachan of would say Devrei Torah, and at some point he would stop and he would say, the children, the kindalach, need to hear stories, not just Devrei Torah. And he would switch and go ahead and tell stories. And his favorite uh, personality to tell stories about was his Rebbe, the Chavetz Chaim. And he used to love telling stories about that. So I feel like if Rebbe Chanan could tell stories, then I could definitely uh, tell stories. We'll tell a few stories about Rebbe Chanan. Actually, when he was by Rebbe Makhil Friedman's house, he would ask, uh, he once asked a bracha from the youngest child in the home, who was like four or five years old. And he said, because the, these young children are pure, they've never sinned, and they're the best ones to give a bracha. So he had that uh, sensitivity to children, to tell them stories, to ask them for a bracha. When he was a guest of people's homes, he had an amazing sensitivity to the hosts. When he was fundraising in the United States, he stayed on the Upper West Side by the famous, famous uh, supporter of, of yeshivas in those days, Mrs. Necha Golding, who's she's an incredible person. There's a lot to say about her also. But uh, once her six-year-old daughter was sitting at the table, and she was not covered properly, and Rebbe Chana was finished his meal, and he'd usually bench quickly after his meal and rush out to his next meeting. And here he kind of tarried at the table, schmoozing, continuing, and everyone was wondering why he did that. And he didn't say anything. And uh, after quite a while, this um, do- young girl who was not uh, dressed to uh, Rebbe Chana's, uh, preference as to how he wanted a bench in front of such... Uh, in front of this girl, she left the table for on her own accord. She was bored, I guess. She went on to play, and then Rebbe Chanan benched and went on to his meeting. And it was then that they understood he didn't want to say anything. If the girl wants to stay at the table, if she's happy and she's enjoying herself, he's not saying anything. He's not objecting. If he has his personal chumrah about how he wants to bench and how he doesn't want to bench, he is not going to interfere with his hostess's child. So he did not say anything. When Rebbe Chana was there, Mrs. Nechagoli insisted that he sit at the head of the table. And, but when Mrs. Nechagoli's elderly mother came to town, um, Rebbe Chana said, no, your mother should sit at the table. And when she died shortly after, Rebbe Chana went to the Levaya and went, stayed till the end of the Levaya. Um, and he stayed at another, he was a guest at another home in New York. Um, the host of the house asked his wife and daughters to sit in the kitchen because he felt that Rebbe Chanan would uh, not want uh, not want women to sit in the dining room together with him. And he immediately noticed that the women weren't there. And he said, 
Where does your wife and children usually sit? And he said, in the dining room. She said, I'm not going to stay in this house if the, the woman of the house and the girls of the house are asked to sit in another place. So I'm not going to stay here. I'm not here to inconvenience anyone. They should sit at the table with anyone else like they normally do. I'm just a guest here. And he sat together with them at the table. And he was very uh, sensitive when he stayed by Rabbi Asher Sternbuch, the famous wealthy uh, businessman, Rabbi Asher Sternbuch, the patriarch of the Sternbuch family, where um, Rabbi David Soloveitchik is married into, and, and uh, Rabbi Asher Ariely is actually named after. It's his grandfather, his mother's a Sternbuch. Uh, so he, Rabbi Hanan, stayed by him when he was in England, and uh, his children asked, Rabbi Asher Sternbuch's children asked Rabbi Hanan for a bracha, and Rebbe wasn't into giving brachas, he used to try to avoid it. A lot of old Litvish Rabbanim were like that. And uh, after a while, he, he asked uh, one of his uh, sons, he said, um, what are you learning? He said, I'm learning Kiddushin. He said, what are you learning in Kiddushin? And Rebbe noticed that he did not have the Gemara 100% clear. So Rebbe said, you want, would you like to learn with me? I would love to learn with you. And the child said, for sure. And Rebbe explained it. Here the great Rosh Yeshiva and he explained it like you explain Gemara to a child, with crystal clear clarity, patiently, slowly, like a real mechanech, not, uh, you know, so, someone who knows how to give big lamdash shiurim, which happens to be his shiurim, were known for its clarity, and his yeshiva actually was for younger bachrim, it was not for older bachrim, so it definitely was his expertise, but here he was talking to a young child, um, and he finishes and patiently explains to him the Gemara, and at the end he says to the child, um, do you understand it now? And he says, yes, I understand it, it's clear. And he says, that's the best bracha that you can have, to have clarity, to be happy with your learning. He was once asked to speak at someone's home in Memel, and it wasn't to his liking, the, the people who they weren't exactly um, the community that, he, that they were a part of, wasn't so traditional, he didn't feel comfortable, it was awkward for him, he did not want to speak, he had several reasons why he did not want to speak in the home, and someone said to him, but you know, if you go speak in this specific home, in some other city that he was in, I don't recall which, uh, if you come and speak in this home, the daughter-in-law of the host, she is, is far from Yiddishkeit, but if someone like you speaks in the home, and she sees your presence, and she sees who you are, she may be influenced to, to become closer to Yiddishkeit, and maybe she'll even keep Taira Samishpacha in her married life. Rabbi Hanan said, if one Jew will be influenced because of me to keep Taira Samishpacha, then I'm going to forget about all my misgivings and go ahead and speak in that home. So he was willing to go for other people. Um, he, although he... He was, had a very serious demeanor. He very often wouldn't, would, excuse me, he, not very often, he would not smile or laugh very often, but he was a very warm and fatherly figure. He had a next door neighbor who had a child in Baranovich who collected matchboxes. And Merbil um, Khanna would save up his matchboxes and give to this child. And he would save them up, and the child would come in and he would say, Hey, I saved a bunch of matchboxes for you, and give them to the child. And he would take the care not to throw them away. He would happily give them to the child to make his day. He had this, this connection, which in, in parenthetically just, just was always curious to me that one would wonder why Rebbe Hanan would have so many matchboxes. And the obvious answer is because in those days, before 
um, people knew that it was not dangerous and not healthy. Uh, people did not know that in those days. It was very common for many people to smoke. Sir Bochanan also smoked, and that's why he needed matchboxes. Now, today we know it's not healthy, so if we would admit that Rabbi Khanan uh, smoked, it would, uh, it would it constitute a bad chinuch, because today you would say, oh, Rabbi Khanan smoked Iken, which is obviously a ludicrous comparison. He did not know that it was not healthy. And in fact, it would be a good chinuch lesson to show how many of the great leaders, great G'dayli Yisrael, stopped smoking cold turkey as soon as they found out that it was not healthy. For example, the Gdusha Sin of Babov, who was a big cigar smoker, and he was once in a doctor's office, and in the waiting room he was smoking a very expensive cigar, and the, he was in Germany, and the German doctor called him in, and, and when he, as he called him in, the Gdusha Sin puts down his cigar, and the doctor says to him, Herr Rabiner, uh, Rabbi, it's, uh, you know it's not healthy to smoke. So he says, oh, I didn't know, and he goes in for his checkup, and he leaves, and he starts to walk out, and the doctor says, Hey, Rabiner, you forgot your expensive cigar. It's still sitting in the, uh, where you left it on the way into my office. And he said, Herr doctor, I don't smoke. And he said, what do you mean? I saw you smoking before. He said, yeah, but I didn't know it was not healthy. You informed me that it's not healthy. I no longer smoke. I would never do something that's not healthy. So uh, by the same token, Rebel Khanan at the time, smoked, and that's how he had matchboxes for the child. Interestingly enough, I saw a, a book uh, published, uh, the biography of, uh, of, of Rebel Khanan, a mainstream uh, um, publisher in the United States, published a biography of Rebel Khanan, and they felt it inappropriate chinuch to show that Rebel Khanan smoked. So there's a picture of him walking in the streets of Marienbad by the third Knesia Gedailah of Agudas Yisrael, and they felt that it would be more respectful to show him with two fingers missing. They photoshopped the picture, which I thought was very not nice because it doesn't look so nice to have Rebbe Hanan with two fingers missing. It looks like he's physically deformed, which he was not. He was a beautiful person. He was tall. He was good looking, nice beard. And he definitely didn't have two fingers missing. Um, but they felt, uh, the, I guess the editors felt that it was more important to uh, not, not have uh, children exposed to the fact that before they knew it was not healthy, people used to smoke, and they chopped off the cigarette, and along with it went two fingers of Rebbe Khanan. Rebbe Khanan was also a tremendous anav. He was, had humility. He was very humble, um, never had any airs about him. He was once speaking on one, another fundraising trip at the Berlin Rabbinical Seminary where Bechil Yaakov Weinberg of Slabatka, and later he was the Rashiv in the, um, the rabbinical seminary, a fascinating person on his own right, he, um, he invited him to speak, and Rabbi Hanan came and spoke there, and Rabbi Yaakov Weinberg, when he introduced him, the Sri Deish, when he introduced Rabbi Hanan, he made the bracha on him that you make for big Talmud HaChamim, and Rabbi Hanan started yelling, don't, how are you making that bracha? He literally yelled at him, how dare you uh, go ahead and make the bracha, one time he came back from a trip and his own Talmidim um, started singing for him. Tzadik Katam or Yifrach, I assume that that was the, uh, th- those days version of Yomim al Yomim Melech Toysef. And he ran out and he started saying, crazy people, what are they doing? What are they singing? And he's talking about his own Talmidim, crazy people. The ones, you know, how, how are they singing for me? And he knew that they had this respect for him, but he ran away from COVID. He always sat in the back. He would come to the Mashgiach of Baranovich, or Yisrael Yankov Lubchansky, he would come to his shmooz and sit in the back, 
and, and listen intently in how he can work on himself and improve from the Mashkiach's Musrish Muzin. And more interestingly, in Baranovich at the time, which is, Baranovich is not that far from Slonim, and the last Slonim of Rebbe, Rashdi Slonim, Rabbi Shleimah David Yeshua Weinberg, um, who was later killed by the Nazis, shot in, 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 uh, outside of Baranovich. Um, so he got along great with Rebbe Khanan. He lived in Baranovich. His chutzer was in Baranovich, the Slonim of Rebbe, in the later years. And he and Rebbe Khanan were very close. And he was much, Rebbe Khanan was much older than him. He was close to a 30-year difference between the two. And yet they had very close relationship, so much so that Rebbe Khanan would go to hear his Shalashudish Muzin. Rebbe Khanan appreciated Chassidus, the great Litvak that Rebbe Khanan was, and he would go listen to his Shalashudish Muzin. And uh, that's also a, a interesting, um, interesting uh, uh, story. In the end off, um, you know, we, I bring groups to Baranovich. We speak about Slonim. We go to Slonim. We go to Baranovich. We go to Kovna, where Rebbe was taken from. We have the house where Rebbe was taken from. Rebbe Malkia Friedman's house, 9 Paneru Street in Slabotka. We say the story. We actually go into the house um, to see it. We go upstairs. Sometimes we get yelled at. Sometimes they don't, uh, they're not around. And uh, it's, it's fun, it's exciting. It's not just going to Kivrit Tzadik in these tours. It's seeing the old places, the original structures, going in, going out, running around, meeting the people. It's, 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 it's really a lot of fun. And I'll end off with one last story. In Poland with Rebbe Khanan, Rebbe Khanan was in Warsaw. And he heard that he was there for, for some sort of conference or collecting. And he heard that Rebbe Bloy, uh, the brother of Rebbe Amram Bloy, whose yard site is also around now, and Ramesh Bloy was the head of Agudis Yisrael in Eretz Yisrael, and he was in um, Poland for some sort of Agudis Yisrael-related conference. Rabbi Khanan was very involved with Agudis Yisrael. He used to go to the Knesset Gedolahs. He was very involved. He used to write articles for the Agudis Yisrael newspapers. So Rabbi Khanan went on Friday night uh, in Shabbos in Warsaw to go visit him. And it was during the winter. And when he asked, Ramesh Bloy said, it's late Friday night, why'd you come visit me? And he said, I heard you're in town, how could I not visit you? You're my good friend, you're involved with so many noble projects for our goodness, Yisrael, I had to come visit you. And he said, I'm just an Askin Balabas, you're a great Rosh Yeshiva, how would you come and go ahead and visit me? He said, no, we're friends, there's no reason for me not to visit you. So Ramesh Bloy said, at least let me walk you back to where you're staying, your hotel. And Rabbi Khanan said, no way, it's snowing outside, it's a cold Warsaw winter, and I'm from Baranovich, I'm used to the cold, you're from Eretz Yisrael, and you can't handle the cold, you're used to a warmer climate, don't come out in the snow unnecessarily, and I always relate to this story, when I'm in Warsaw, when I'm in Baranovich, when I'm in Slabotka, the places that Rebbe Khanan was, and I'm from Eretz Yisrael, and I'm used to the warmer climate, and when it's snowing outside, and that wind is blowing, and it gets so cold, and I'm thinking of how warm it is back in Eretz Yisrael, I think of Rebbe Khanan and how he stood in these places and how he insisted that Ramesh Bloy stay inside. So that's for Rebbe Khanan in honor of his yard site. This was Yehuda Geberer from Jew- of Jewish History Soundbites. You can reach me at ygebss at gmail.com for questions, comments, sources, and of course, to book tours, to go to these places, to see these places and hear about these people. You can follow and subscribe the Jewish History Soundbites on iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify. Don't miss an episode. You can also follow us on Twitter at JSoundbites, and I hope you enjoyed.